Well, we, uh, we've been venturing, as I said, in the wilderness where God gives the best directions. And we've been in the Ten Commandments for, this is the 10th week now, and we'll look once more at kind of a summary of the whole next week. But listen as I read for us God's directions to Israel and to you and to me as Moses brought them down from the mountain in the middle of the wilderness. Directions on how to get home. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them but rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God take this word, speak into our hearts, and cause us to realize that when God says, you shall not, it is a blessing. Because when God is our God, we will not want anything less. Let's pray. Father, let your good news come now and find us. Not only in word, but in power, in your Holy Spirit, and with the full assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. All these things we pray in the strong and the sweet saving name of Jesus Christ our Lord. So, what is it to covet? 
a very important question today and every day. What is it exactly to covet? Simply put, it is to want what is not only not ours, but was never meant to be ours, will never be meant to be ours. Now, too often, covetousness, about the only time we hear about coveting in our English language, in our contemporary culture today, is when it is actually used in a supposedly positive way. The coveted prize of whatever. They won the coveted prize. As if to say that the focus was made possible only by that internal compass that caused them to forsake all else to get whatever the goal was. But I'm not sure. No, actually, I, I'm, I'm quite sure. Actually, I'm very sure that we were not meant to covet anything. Not anything. Nothing is justifiably coveted. And I'll tell you why. Because even the good things cause us to exclude who we were meant to be and exclude who we were meant to be called for God's purpose because when we are coveting, we are excluding what God desires for us. You see, coveting is not just wanting what someone else has. It is wanting for ourselves something outside of what God has intended for us, what God has given. Now, you could say, well, but I'm, I'm coveting being a good Christian. Well, I don't think so. Because, you know what, even that can become a compulsion. You know, I've seen people, pastors are, are the worst at this. Family gets completely left out because they go to a meeting every single night. We can become so engrossed in thinking we are being faithful that we're not being faithful to what God has called us to be faithful to. So here as we finish, we finish where we began, with God calling us to want nothing, no one, nothing besides or beyond or above himself. You will have no other gods before me, he starts us off with. Because when you don't have a God before me, when God is the first and foremost thing, you will not steal because you won't want to. You will not commit adultery because you won't want to. Why? Because God is first. And ultimately, we will not covet. See, coveting is looking over and going, boy, that looks good. Wow, I should have that. That person should have a wart and I should have what they have. My Uncle John used to say that. And here's the key. Here's the key. Until all we want is all Jesus did, until all we want is what Jesus did on the cross, we will have an internal covetousness for something that will never let us go. We've got to stop and think about that. That's why God says don't covet. It's not just because he doesn't want you to steal your neighbor's lawnmower. Okay? 
or, or something far more precious. God wants us to want what He's done for us, what the Father has done for us. And if we're listening to another sound, Alan, absolutely, we're going to covet. We're going to say, I want this. And God's wrong, we say. God must be wrong because He didn't give me this. This is what Paul described in Romans 7 that we read for our assurance of pardon. The very things I want to do are not what I do, and the very things I don't want to do are the things that I do. Then he asks the most important question, who will rescue me? He knows he needs to be rescued. We need to be rescued from our covetousness. Jesus described this well when he said, for out of the heart, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. You see what he's doing? He's reciting the Ten Commandments. And what is he, where does he say this comes from? Out of the heart. You see, covetousness is heart disease. It's plaque building up around the arteries of our spiritual faithfulness. And we go inside and allow ourselves to be corrupted so that what is happening on the outside is just the opposite of what God wants for us. This is what defines covetousness. It is like idolatry. It's a matter of the heart. Before covetousness happens on the outside, it's going on on the inside. Burning within us. Oh, I've got to have that. I've got to feel like that. I've got to look like that. I've got to behave like that. I want to be that. It is who we have become that causes us to act. We, when we become a covetous person, we become someone other than who Jesus died to make us. You see, covetousness is the failure to accept who we are and who we are not meant to be. Oh, I should look like this. I should get to do this. No. Covetousness is saying, is saying, I want something other than what God intended for me. It is the failure to subject our desires to God's calling on our lives. I want you to be real clear about this. I want us all to be very clear about it, starting with myself. If I'm coveting, it's not because I don't know it, okay? I know when I'm wanting something that is not supposed to be mine. We'll talk more about that in a, mo in a moment. But what it all comes down to is, on a regular basis, are my desires being submitted to God so that God can clarify for me all the time, so it doesn't even come on to my spiritual radar that I would want something that he doesn't want for me. Years after the day God spoke these words to Moses, Israel was coveting. They'd been delivered out of the land of slavery, the bondage in, in Egypt, and they were coveting way after they even got to the promised land. How about that? They get delivered finally to the promised land, and they are coveting. What are they coveting? They are coveting what everybody else has that they don't have. What is that? A king, a political leader, a political system, and a justice they thought would give them all they would ever need. Oh, if we could just have a king, if we could just get the pol po political situation 
wrapped up going in the way we want it to go. Everything will be just fine. Oh, it'll be perfect. But here's the irony. Here's the irony of covetousness about having gods before the one God who loves us more than life itself. They and we already had and have everything we could ever need. Israel already had everything. They didn't need a king. They had God. We don't need something external before we need what God has already placed internally in us, and that is that we belong to him, body and soul, in life and in death. Our dreams have already been granted. Everything, everything we could ever, ever need, God has already granted. And if you're, if you're stopping and you're saying, well, wait a minute, that's not true for me. Guess what? That's not a dream. It's a nightmare. <laughs> I mean it. If we don't have what we think we've got to have, and there is a burning desire within us, we're either not waiting on God or we're having a nightmare because that is something that God never intended for us to have. And if we're praying, God will reveal to us what that is. And into this irony, this is really powerful, into this irony of Israel that comes forward to our day, the prophet Samuel spoke to Israel and to all God's people forever when he said, do not turn aside after useless things that cannot profit or save, for they are do not turn aside after useless things that cannot profit or save, for they are useless. How much of the time are we chasing after, coveting something that we're just absolutely sure we've got to have that is really, when we stop and pray about it, absolutely useless? I think we can covet revenge or spite, and it poisons us. And there are a million other things that we might covet that are just useless distractions. Coveting is a matter of discontent, or as the great theologian Irma Bombeck used to say, <laughs> the grass is always greener over the septic tank. <laughs> you know why, don't you? Yeah, okay, good, you know about septic tanks. The reason God calls us away from coveting is because God knows what makes things green. And God knows that that which makes things green will only cause us to be green with envy. It will only cause us to be disappointed because the fact of the matter is when the grass is greener over the septic tank, we've got our roots going down into, well, we won't go there. There is a great disappointment in our country today. Have you picked up on that? Yeah, yeah. There's a great disappointment in our country today because our nation does not know the one God of whom David said, he makes me to lie down in green pastures, not the green grass over the septic tank. We live in a nation that does not know the God who makes us to lie down in green pastures, his green pastures, the safe, clean, precious, nourishing,
green pastures, of relationship with himself. Not the, the pastures of coveting and demanding and lusting and caving in to that which only poisons us with resentment and disappointment and rage. And yet that's exactly what's happening in the world around us. And that's exactly what we need to be praying for and modeling a, the opposite of for the world in which we find ourselves. Not that disappointment of rage, but the sweet contentment of the still waters and the green pastures of the one who loves us so much that he would give his own son to show it and to make it possible for us to be reunited with him. And the world around us needs to see that contentment, needs to see us lying down in those green pastures that comes from a people who are secure in the one who has claimed us as his own and given us a promise that is greater than anything this world can give and greater than anything this world can take away. Beneath the cross of Jesus, the hymn says, can, we will be content to let the world go by. Content to let the world go by. Are you content to let the world go by? Can you see a commercial for something or somebody having something or a, a lifestyle or whatever and say, I don't need that. I don't need that. I've never needed that. I'll never need that. What I do need is relationship with him. Content to let the world go by. There's an old song about a man who had longed for a romance that never quite was, that unrequited love. And years later, he encountered that person one night and realized that what he had coveted was not what he needed. And the old song concludes, and as she walked away, I looked at my wife, and then and there, I thanked the good Lord for the gifts in my life. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember, when you're talking to the man upstairs, that just because he may not answer doesn't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered. Some of God's greatest gifts are all too often unanswered. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. See, it doesn't matter whether it's a romance or a career or a dream or you name it. The greatest gift we have is what God has given us rather than what we are consumed by. Grief, doubt, longing for something that never took place. Unanswered prayers. Hmm. Unanswered prayers are a beautiful and a powerful thing. Do you know why? Because it means that whatever we are coveting that is driving our internal compass, we are bringing to God in prayer and being honest about it and saying, God, but I'm supposed to have her. I'm supposed to have him. This was supposed to happen in my life. I've got to have this thing. I've got to have this experience. No. But when we're bringing it to God in prayer, something happens. 
When we are telling God what it is we are longing for, we will experience two things happening in our lives. I assure you of this. This does not happen. You can have your money back, okay? <laughs> two things will happen when we are bringing to God in prayer that which we are longing for or even coveting. First, we will realize how destructive that coveting is. We will realize that what it is we want is just poisoning us. It is destroying our character and our relationships because little by little the thing we covet becomes what drives us and it owns us. And when we pray about it, when we stop to pray about it, we will be stopped in our tracks to see the big picture. You see, unanswered prayer means we're actually bringing it to God rather than just going for it. The upper story of just what is happening in our lives as a result of coveting will become clear. But the second thing that happens when we take our idolatrous, idolatrous coveting to God in prayer is, get this, you know what happens? Do you know what happens when we take our coveting to God in prayer? God takes it away. As far as the east is from the west, God takes it away. Sometimes it just happens in a moment, in that prayer, because our hearts are ready. And in, in that moment, God's Holy Spirit says, it's, it's gone. It's gone. And other times it comes day by day, third step, day by day, as we turn it over to God in prayer, and by talking about it with another believer. No, God does not give us anything we covet. There's a real clear statement of why we're that we are coveting, because God didn't give it to us. God does not give us everything we covet or anything we covet. God loves us too much for this, and I am quite confident, I am quite confident that one day we will see places God blocked us in seeking what we coveted. One day, God is going to show us, remember you wanted this or that or this thing? I threw up a roadblock because I love you. But God does, does give us des the desires of our heart. I think that's important to realize. God gives us the desires of our heart when our hearts are fixed on wanting him and wanting what he wants for us. God calls us away from coveting so that we may experience what it means, what it really means, to belong to him. That's a lifelong experience. And we all need this. We all need the deliverance that comes from belonging to him. There's a character in J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, Lord of the Rings. Some of you have read the book or seen the film. There's a character and his name is Mr. Schmeagel. Isn't that a great name, Mr. Schmeagel? And Mr. Schmeagel, he's a little bit odd, like all of us, but he wants to be whole. Mr. Schmeagel wants to be whole. But there's also a very ugly part of Mr. Schmeagel who becomes an entirely different person named Gollum. And Gollum comes about out of Mr. Sweet Little Mr. Schmeagel when he's possessed by covetousness that makes him slimy and ugly and cowardly and despicable any time he nears the thing he covets, which happens to be a bright gold 
bring my precious, my precious. Gollum's better looking than I am. But, that, but it's, it, here's the irony. It's not even the ring. That's what's so absurd about it and so powerful in that image. Silly Schmeagel, possessed by Gollum, wants something that he has no need for, use for, purpose for. It's not the ring. It's wanting to possess something he knows he can never have and that will not change him or make him whole. There's the prison wanting to possess that which will only frustrate and distance him even further from where he needs to be. In this, he is, we are, pathetically imprisoned by obsession. That's covetousness. There's only one way that the golem in all of us will be gotten rid of, and that is by prayerful submission to the one who gave his life to buy us back by saying to us, my precious, you are my precious. I want you because I need you and you need me. There's only one way that will come, and we will be made whole by the one who defines what it means to be truly complete now and forever when we are submitted to him. God gave his own son so that we would be free from the compulsive desire for the things of this world that try to kill us and enslave us with discontent no matter how much we have. All those looking backs, oh, if that, hadn't, if that just hadn't happened, or if that had happened, God frees us from that covetousness when we are submitted to his will. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what he does right now. He'll free us. There is a rage sweeping our country that is a breaker of hearts. It brings a discontent for a peace that can never be had until that rage and hatred are turned over to God, to, to that shalom. And when covetousness is turned over to God, we will have what we really need. Not justice on our terms, but justice on God's terms. You know my old story about the guy who got his picture taken, and he looked at the, the proofs, and he looks at them, and he goes, these pictures don't do me justice, right? And the photographer says, you don't need justice, buddy. You need mercy. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. That's what we need. We don't need to covet looking different than we do. We need to praise God for how God sees us. Because until we do, the devil is going to continue to dance with glee at how this country is tearing itself up and the people in it. We need to love those people into relationship. We need to go find Gollum and bring him home and let him experience being Mr. Schmeagel, God's beloved. What so many people do not know is that their rage and anger is not about what they think it is. And that is true for all of us, let's face it. Without getting overly psychological, and that's okay, the reason we covet things is not rational. And it is not because our parents didn't love us, even if they, or if they did, or they weren't very good at it. We covet 
because we think we can renew life on our own when in fact we, we miss our deeper need. We covet because we think there's something we can have or do or experience. And the only thing that's going to do that is being loved by our Father. Just exactly what Alan was talking about. So let me finish with this. Perhaps my favorite movie of all time, and I, I love films, perhaps my favorite movie of all time is Field of Dreams. And not just because it's about baseball. Well, okay, maybe a little bit because it's about baseball. But there's more to it. A man is obsessed. It might seem romantic and charming, but the reality is a man named Ray Kinsella is obsessed with building something he thinks will put his life back together, will solve all of his old unresolved demons, will get rid of Gollum, so to speak. And he thinks that building a baseball field will do this, which is not a bad idea, you know. <laughs> but it isn't the solution. It isn't the solution. <laughs> There's a lot of cities who are building baseball parks that think that's a solution. It's not. What he learns is there is nothing in this world that will replace what is needed in us. Only the one who gave us life and who gave us a new life can do this. And he calls us away from our efforts to show us how the love he gives is all that we need. Take a look at this clip. Catch a good game. Thank you. So beautiful. For me. Well, for me, it's like a dream come true. Can I ask you something? Is, is this heaven? It's Iowa. Iowa? dreams come true.
My friends, what Ray needed, what we need, what the angry, broken, raging hearts of our land needs is to experience what Jesus came to give, a restored relationship with the Father, period. Do you need this? Do you need this? Tell him, Abba, Papa. Let him remove the burden of whatever you covet that is in the way. Do you know someone who longs for what this world cannot give? Do you see them in the mirror every morning? Ease their pain. Ease his pain. And invite them to love what God has given for free and let God love them. We're on our way home, my friends. These days are short. We're in the fall of the year. The days are starting to grow shorter. We're on our way home in the only way is to let the Father love us and give us what he intended for us all along. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you know us because you made us. You know what we need in very practical terms every day. And we thank you that you are constantly offering them to us. Give us hearts to long for only you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand up. Let's go back 450 years and realize it's like yesterday and answer this question. Why then does God have the Ten Commandments preached so strictly since no one can keep them in this life. First, that all our life long we may become increasingly aware of our sinfulness and therefore more eagerly seek forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. Second, that we may constantly and diligently pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit so that more and more we may be renewed in the image of God until we attain the goal of full perfection after this life. Amen. May our hearts long for the flowing streams of God's love.
Because Jesus Christ indwells us, he has something he wants to do through us where we are. May we believe it and therefore go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen.